Hey, 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 this is the rest, the rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and hopefully a little bit of rest for your souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. This is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and these are your thoughts, and these are your interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. Thanks for uh, checking this out today. Episode three of The Rest, the remix 2022 version. Glad that you guys are checking us out. And the rest is just that, not a sermon, an opportunity to talk about oh controversial things, things that get a little bit difficult to uh, stand up in front of a room and articulate clearly, things that uh, have multiple right answers to, uh, the, the concepts of learning, growth, um, disagreement, cultural issues, things that we're asking questions about in a safe place to ask those questions, the rest, whatever else, the rest, the kitchen sink, whatever it is that it needs to be. And today is going to be great. Um, I've got uh, some footnotes from Why Look at the Sky, a series that I started a couple weeks ago, week four, some footnotes for that. I have um, a very special guest today in the season of learning that we're in our church Eddie Mowry, who is um, our worship director here, and we're going to unpack and learn some things about worship and, uh, of course, a a couple of other little things, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So with that, I'm going to rant. Okay, so... Yeah, like this is a moment I'm going to take that's going to resonate probably with, oh, I don't know, most of the state of Ohio and anybody who listens to this podcast. But um, if you if you don't know it, then you're living under a rock because the Bengals, the Bengals, the Cincinnati, I, I like to say Bengals, the Bengals, uh, they are going to the Super Bowl, if you can imagine. I mean, you're talking about um, a very low seed in the AFC going on the road twice to beat teams that should beat them in the Titans and then going on to beat Kansas City in Arrowhead Stadium. I have a weird relationship to Arrowhead Stadium because when I was growing up, my mom lived in Denver and I lived in Columbus and my parents would... uh, drop me off at Arrowhead Stadium in between uh, Columbus and Denver when we were when we were being transported back and forth between uh, mom and dad's over the summertime. So I, I used to like just stare at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And uh, I cannot imagine uh, how thrilled so many of you Bengal fans are. I grew up um, a Browns fan, very marginal Browns fan at best very difficult to be a inspired Browns fan for most of my life and for all of my life. And then of course, this year happened to be the year where the Browns roster was as as hot as it's ever been from almost every facet of the game. And the question about Baker Mayfield was looming and he basically under delivered in a massive way. And we had some serious injuries and, uh, and, they ended up, I think, at the very bottom of the division. And uh, and then the Bengals ended up on top. And it's unreal that they are going. And so uh, that game is two weeks from today. So by the time you hear this, that game will be over. And uh, that's okay. The, the basic idea here, I think, when you're talking about the Bengals playing the Rams in the Super Bowl, is that uh, nobody asked me for this, but I'm going to give you my three keys to how the Bengals can win this game. Uh, and here, here it is. And this is kind of my take on, on the game because I believe that the Bengals happen to be like one of those crazy teams of destiny. There's just something going on. I mean, Joe Burrow comes in. He's won uh, a national championship and uh, could potentially win a Super Bowl um, all within, you know, two to three years time if he does this. 
and he obviously is a franchise quarterback that has the ability to take a team that was you know had didn't even have close to 500 wins to uh, actual going to the Super Bowl and being AFC champions and so Joe Burrow is a game changer literally in every sense of the phrase and uh, so I believe that of course a team like that has an opportunity to do something great a possibility to do something great but when I look at the Rams and their defensive line I just don't know how it's how it's uh, how it's going to happen with Vaughn Miller and uh, uh, Aaron Donald on the defensive line and then the guys in the back in, in the defensive backfield kind of uh, uh, matching up um, their great wide receiver from Cincinnati and uh, I just don't see how it's going to happen because Jalen Ramsey is as good as it gets and I don't know if you know this but there's a guy I think his name is Eric Whittle and he uh, he was 13 years in the NFL we was out of the league for two years and the Rams found him because they needed help in the defensive backfield and they, they signed him and he was supposed to play like a four or five plays a game. And uh, over the past several games, he's played over 60 snaps and he's like a major contributor. So it's kind of a cool story. I believe that they're going to win, but if whoever's going to win is going to, and this is basic, but you're going to have to have a great strategy, which means you're going to have to understand exactly what you're trying to do. So this is how the teams win it. They have the best strategy, which means whatever the other team is planning to do, your game plan cut, hits it right between the eyes and says, we, we, we knew you were going to do that. And our strategy includes you doing that. And we are going to beat you anyway. So we know how you're going to do that. So some type of bolstering of the offensive line against them putting pressure on Joe Burrow if they if they if they figure out a way to block for him and get get him to be able to pass the ball and 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 that's their strategy is to to hit Joe Burrow and they figure out a way to do something else or get the ball out of his hands quicker or something then a great strategy that kind of hits the other team right between the eyes and then an amazing attitude and this is where the the uh, the the Bengals have the upper hand they have an amazing attitude kind of a who cares we're playing with house money this is all positive we never thought we'd be here we're in LA we're having fun this is way bigger than we ever thought it'd be so we're going to go ahead and just have a blast and have that kind of that effervescent like this is amazing it's taking over the way we feel and have so much positivity and energy because there's really nothing to lose and only something to gain and then these games have all come down to three points so it's going to be grit whoever is nasty enough whoever fights whoever gets back up the most times who whoever does that is going to win uh, I, I I would like to say the Bengals could win if they do what I just said they will win if they don't then they'll get their butts kicked and beat by three touchdowns so anyway it is amazing for the state of Ohio to suddenly have someone who uh, is is this good at football that they're in the biggest game of the year um, if you don't know this this the city of Cincinnati they canceled school on February 14th the day after the Super Bowl um, knowing that they're going to have a city that either needs to um, spend the whole night in in celebration or uh, stay in bed morning and licking their wounds. So uh, it is an amazing thing. It's absolutely exciting. And uh, I guess I got to say it, man, go Bengals. I cannot believe I would say that, but, but go Bengals. So with that, we're going to jump into footnotes. So with footnotes, uh, we're going to talk about the wrapping up of uh, Why Look at the Sky, a series that I have done that is about uh, the church's disposition towards its role in the world and how salvation is not something that just has been done for us. Um, and, and that's the end of the story, but that salvation is supposed to be the key that unlocks our duty and responsibility to go back into the world and do what we were originally designed to do. So salvation um, you've heard many people say is not just from something. A lot of times salvation is, is talked about and communicated, um, in church as it's, it's, you know, you need to be, you need to be saved because of what will happen if you're not saved. And salvation has a whole other side that's so important. It's you need to be saved because of what won't happen if you're not saved. You need to be saved because you're currently not doing what you were intended to do. And you're headed in, in a trajectory that you're not supposed to. But really, we're saving you not just to keep you on a shelf and have you as a trophy that just like represents something good that God did. But God, he died for you and he gave you new life, new hope, new purpose, renewed purpose and said, it's time for you to go and 
bring life into the world. And so uh, this weekend I talked about how salvation in Romans chapter eight, it, it's revealed that the, the earth and all the people on the earth are really waiting eagerly waiting, anticipating for the children of God to be revealed, uh, which means that that the, the purpose of humanity to uh, respond to God with our abilities, to take our personal responsibility as people who were commissioned and created in the, in the image of God, then commissioned to go be image bearers, to do the things that God did, um, to take the, this world and anything that, that's here to to bring any order to it and then to to commission it or release it into the world is is what we're supposed to do. We're, we're here to lord over and rule over this earth on the behalf of God, to be like God, and uh, to, to leverage all of our abilities to help improve the world and make it beautiful. And it's not just something that we're asked to do, it's something that we're tasked to do. It's our job, it's our responsibility to improve the world. And that's why we've been saved. And that's why we've been saved. We've been saved to bring about God's original plan for planet Earth and humanity. And sin and death got in the way of that. And even though death has still this, uh, this bite, the bite of death still exists, but the sting in a way has been, been removed because we know that after death, comes resurrection because we're following Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So we will be brought back and so will the earth and everything that we're supposed to do in the meantime is supposed to be building for that future manifestation of the kingdom of God as we build for it currently. And in the meantime, in salvation, uh, the church has, has been, been tasked to go and be lights and go and bring about the goodness of God and to love one another and to care for one another and to serve one another. And that, that is a very, very challenging task. And it doesn't come without hurdles. It doesn't come without challenges. The world's not the way it was originally intended to be. So we have obstacles, we have temptation, we have an enemy that's trying to stop us from doing all that. And so I got into this, uh, this week two of the tools that God gives us to rebuild and do the things that the world is waiting for. And one of them that I talked about was the word of God, that we have the word of God. And so I wanna just take a minute and go into a little tangent of the power of the word of God and what makes the Word of God such a helpful tool. Um, I said on Sunday that the Word of God, the Bible, if you will, the Word of God, that it is uh, according to itself and, and according to, to uh, one perspective is that the, the Word of God is a lamp into our feet. And so it helps us guide our steps. It helps us take steps so that we can walk and go and do what we're supposed to do. And, and the emphasis on Sunday was that the word of God has power because it's words, just like any other, any other words, it's history, just like any other history, but it's not just like any other history in the sense of, of the content matter, what those words are saying. The truth of those words, the power of those words is what makes it the word of God. It's God's story. You're reading redemptive history. And so it's not just something that in the text has like this word means more or, or these sentences are, 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 are have some necessarily supernatural ability. Like if you read the Bible and you read a sentence, then it's like, oh, that, that word has some type of mystical ability to like pop out and do something unique. It's, it's the truth of those words and the implication of those words that give those words authority and give those words their inspiration because it's God telling the story of all of human life and words is how we communicate it. So think about the power of those words, because if those words are true, if that news is true, if that history is true, if God is who he says he was, if everything that the Bible communicates and implies has um, uh, truth to it in the sense that it really matters and has tr meaning, then it means that there's something new for us. And a lot of people... A lot of people get caught up in what is, what is the Bible? Is it, you know, is it, is it inerrant, which means does it, does it have any flaws or is it, you know, is it actually authoritative or what does it mean that it's inspired or God breathed, that God breathed? 
breathed it. And if God breathed it, then, then a lot of people look at it through the lens of what, what does it mean? Is it inerrant? And then people will look at, at the historicity of the Bible and they'll find problems with, with history and dating. And they'll find problems with certain perspectives and they'll say, well, you know, this, this didn't happen with the queen of Sheba this way and she wasn't around here. So this must not be true. And so they'll throw out uh, its authority or its power based upon a maybe one particular inerrancy. I remember when I was in seminary, I took a class on uh, on uh, uh, what was it? Apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature is about literature that has to do with you know God's God's uh, vision, God's uh, God's uh, revelation to the world, and there's there's apocalyptic types of literature throughout the Bible. And the, uh, the most popular one is, is probably the book of Daniel, at least in the old Testament. And we looked at the book of Daniel and from a historical perspective, there are many, many good theologians and historians that say that there's, there's a problem with some of the dating of it. And so there's some people that look at the Bible and they go, well, if there's a problem with the dating of the book of Daniel, then that means that maybe what happened with Daniel and in Babylon didn't happen the way that the author said it. And so that, that kind of starts a domino effect of this must mean it's not true. This must mean the Bible isn't inspired by God because how could it be God's word? And, and, and if there's a part that's not historically accurate, then it's, you know, then it's, uh, it, it must not be God's word because God would never say something that's not historically accurate. So you, you get yourself into all kinds of trouble when you say, uh, the inspiration of scripture, the authority of scripture has to do with its historical accuracy. Um, another one that people really, they get caught into this, this meaning of what it means to be the word of God. And it has to be so perfect in this way. And then if it's not, then they kind of die on that hill is Genesis chapter one in the creation story. So what you have is you have people that look at the creation story and they say, well, this says seven literal days and that's their interpretation of it. And then you have geologists and archaeologists and, and, uh, whatever, uh, um, uh, evolutionists come along and they look at the earth and they go, well, this book, if it's literal to the seven days of creation, it doesn't line up with what we see from a scientific perspective in evolution. And I've heard all kinds of arguments on both sides, but the idea being that if science feels that they can disprove the literal interpretation of Genesis chapter one, then that's the beginning for them of the end of the validity of the scriptures. Uh, you can also see this in some of the historical narratives related to the Exodus. There are some historians that don't see some of the things that's, that are said in the book of Exodus happening throughout some of the other valid historical documents. And so we throw out the authority and, um, a lot of people have trouble and they get locked in that. And I'm going to help you see how that, that doesn't have to happen here because when the Bible says about itself that it's inspired or that the word of God is authoritative, it's not saying that everything in every 66 book is perfectly historically accurate. And it's not saying that every single translation is absolutely true down to the T or whatever it is. That's not what it means. And a lot of people also view uh, the idea that the Bible is inspired and it's God breathed and, it, and it's authoritative, that it means that it's a list of rules or things that can give us control. So if the Bible said it here, then here's what you have to do. And there's a lot of people in the church, uh, particularly that view the Bible as the kind of judge that sits and it's like, well, we need to decide what to do in this situation. And so because they said this here to them, to those people, for example, uh, you might look at the way that they chose the other disciple after Judas left and they cast lots and, and then they picked this elder board. You know, they, they picked an, a group of elders to oversee the church later with Stephen. And they, they picked these men that knew the, the word of God. And they'll go, well, since they did this here and the disciples paid attention to teaching, then that means that in the church, you have to have a group of elders. And a lot of churches have said, because they did that there, that's the way we have to do everything. So it becomes this like direct, like, okay, this is our actual strategy guide for how we're supposed to live life. And you just throw out context and different people's perspectives and different cultures and different words and different meaning and different time. You throw all that out and say, you know, what was good over here is good for here. So one size fits all kind of interpretation. That's a scary thing to do too, because 
That's not what it means that the Bible is authoritative. What Paul told Timothy um, about women in that particular context does not necessarily mean, now it could, and I understand the translation, that it means the same thing for here. It doesn't necessarily mean that. And so in order to understand the word of God being a lamp into our feet and a light into our path and a tool that God has given us to walk this journey and to bring about the original purpose of humanity, you have to think about it in a different way. And people fight over these things. They fight over historical uh, meaning of the text. They fight over what it means to be inerrant. They fight over uh, that it's a list of rules and do's and don'ts. And their whole church and culture and, and life of church can really be like leveraged against this view of the scriptures. And here, here I want to give to you a different view of the scriptures. Um, because these types of debates... Uh, can really cause a problem. I'm going to read something to you from N.T. Wright, who you're going to hear me quote all the time, who talks about these debates and how these debates actually take us off of what God intended the scriptures to do. They take us away from God's original intention for what we're supposed to do with the narrative, the story of God and humanity as it's told throughout the Bible, because that is actually what it means that it's authoritative. It's the kind of story that it's telling and what that story means for us now if we're given the same basic ideas to apply to our world today. So he says this about these debates. He says, such debates about the nature of scripture, in my view, distract attention from the real point of what the Bible is there for. Squabbling over particular definitions of qualities of the Bible is like a married couple squabbling over which of them loves the children more. That's what it's like. We're, we're fighting over this thing. So you have children. They need taken care of. There's something to do. Instead of actually doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're fighting about who cares more about something. And so then he goes on to say this, when they should be, getting on with bringing them up and setting them a good example. The Bible is there to enable God's people to be equipped to do God's work in God's world, not give them an excuse to sit back smugly knowing that they possess all of God's truth. The Bible is like this. It's like a Shakespearean play, if you will, in terms of authority. Here's how you need to think about the scripture and the authority and what the book means. It's like if we had a, a three-act play from Shakespeare and all of us who are the church were going to be the actors in the fourth act. And what we do is we don't have any script for the fourth act. We have no script, but we're acting and we're taking up specific roles in the fourth act. And all we have is three acts. What would you do? you would read those acts. Those acts, those three acts would become the authority for how you're supposed to act out, live out the fourth one. So the authority of those, those things are, what did those characters do? What, what drove those characters? What drove the character of God? What was the author up to in these first three acts that should tell me how to live? And what we see is the authority of those three acts should inform us on how to live our lives and how to be and how to engage. So when we look at the narrative, and that's what makes it authoritative and that's what makes it inspired and God breathed is we're looking at a narrative that's not a Shakespearean play. We're looking at a very real world, real life. This is who God is. This is who you are reality. And we learn in the text, God is God. We are not. We're made in his image. We're called to bring about beauty and goodness in his name, in his glory. We're called to worship him. We're called not to worship idols. We're called to love people, not to put ourselves above them. We're called to uh, care about the world. We're called to be gentle and kind and meek. And we see all that as it is articulated throughout the story of the, uh, of the history of God. And you see God who made people, then they turn their back on him. And then he, he reinvades their space and he reunites with them through Abraham. And then, and then they forget him. And then he reunites with them and stays with them through Moses. And he's with them and he has a people and he promises them thing and he takes them places and they turn their back on him because of sin. And that causes trouble. And then we get to the New Testament where Jesus comes along and changes people's hearts, gives them the ability to be faithful. 
And now he says, this is what it looks like to be faithful. And all of that authority that is laid out for us in the first three acts of scripture now is supposed to inform us on how to be. We're supposed to act a certain way. There's a job for us to do, not to sit around and talk about, well, if this isn't true. Now, here's the thing about historicity is it's a good question because if the Bible wasn't true historically, then it means nothing. Here's the thing. It's an easy answer. Historically, the Bible is one of the most valid documents ever put through the classic tests of what it means to be historically valid. Anything. There, it holds water against any other historical document. So if you're looking at any other document that you say is historical and you go, it, it, it passed the test, the Bible passed that test tenfold. Uh, the, the historians that wrote about it, the amount of people that knew about it, the things that were written about it, that doesn't even take up that much room. It would take up a relatively small library. And so everything there is to know about something being historical accurate, uh, historically accurate is found when we test the Bible with it. And so we can know this is a very historically sound document. Therefore, we can move past whether or not the implications of it matter to what does it mean if, if, if it's true and what do we do with our lives? lives if that is true. If God is God and he made humans and he wants us to love people and love him, then now let's write an act that says, okay, we have a Jesus. We have, he loved us. He gave himself for us. He lived a certain way. He gave us the spirit. So what would we do if all of that was true? That's what it means to have authority. And then you can argue, you can say, this is why I'm doing this. Why would you forgive somebody? Why would you do that? Why would you actually let someone off the hook who stole from you? And you would say, because I know what God wants me to do. He did that with Israel. He did that with Jacob. He did that with David. He forgave. And so Jesus says that we're supposed to forgive. So I know in this moment, if this is my, my scene in the play, this is how I'm supposed to act. Why would you put away your sword when you're being attacked? Why? Because we've seen it. We saw Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. So we know now when it comes to our time, how are we going to act? How are we going to be? When, when, we're, when we're wondering how to be with our kids, we've seen that Paul tells the early church not for fathers not to exasperate their kids. We see that God tells us that we're supposed to be gentle. So we go, okay, there's some specific direction. I know how I'm supposed to be in this moment. Though The authority of scripture is supposed to give you the confidence as followers of Christ that the redemptive historical narrative being told in the Bible is so true that you should follow suit. You should pick up your uh, tools. You should pick up your abilities. You should take responsibility for whatever's in front of you and go about and continue on the narrative and bring it to a roaring, roaring ovation in the way that you live your life. So um, when we're talking about the word of God being a lamp into our feet, we're talking about reading God's story so that we can understand how that's supposed to impact ours. And it's a really, really eye-opening, fresh way to look at the Bible. You know, you don't need to go searching for every little thing. It's really dangerous when you, you know, open up the Bible, pick out a verse, put your finger on the verse and say, whatever this is saying, it's God's word, so it must apply to my life. That is dangerous. That is a dangerous way to do. You need to understand what it meant there because there's some implications about what it meant there that could help guide you to what it means here, but not directly every time the way people do it. Um, it's a narrative thing. It's a story. You're in the fourth act. So uh, that was a piece of that. If you want to dive into uh, why I look at the sky week four, I think you should, because I don't just talk about the, um, the, the Bible and God's word, I talk about the other to main tool, which is the Holy Ghost. And so you can, you can go ahead and check that out. So uh, with that, what I want to do is I am going to invite right now Eddie Mowry, who is on our team at 514 Church as a worship director. And we're going to learn from him as the, the, the actual maestro and the aficionado as it's related to worship at our church. So... Here he is. He's coming. He's walking in right now. I can see him. So, Eddie... 
How are you? I'm good, Joel. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for asking me. Yep. And um, we just did two weeks, the first two episodes of the podcast during this part under the, the umbrella of the learning season of our church. And we talked to John about learning in general, mm. how to have an open mind, how to continue to seek out truth, how to go through the, how to experience growth as it's related to changing your ideas, having different conclusions and how to do that and learn and not lose ground on some of your, uh, you know, your foundational beliefs mm -hmm. and, and a lot more. So it was all under the banner of learning. And so we're still in the season of learning at our church and you are the worship director for our church. So um, why don't you tell everybody uh, just a brief little history of you and then what that means that you are the worship director at the church. Absolutely. Um, so my story, um, my family's from Pennsylvania, Eastern side, Lancaster. And so I grew up in, in that city and my music background starts when I was about six years old. My mom got me on piano lessons. And so I did that and music actually became something real to me in middle school. And that was when I was asked to start leading worship at my hmm. church. And so I was at this church about maybe 200 to 250 people um, that regularly attended. And I was, I was pretty involved with the youth group. And I started playing keys in middle school for the team. And then all of a sudden the worship leader who was in charge left. And um, my youth pastor who knew my background musically, I had maybe sung a couple times like background vocals, but he knew that like maybe this kid could actually take this role. And so I feel like my story is a good example of somebody who had um, strong leaders and people that believed in me hmm. and put me in a position to grow and succeed and that believed that I would do that. Hmm. And so at 14, I started leading, leading our youth group. And, you know, I, I kind of grew into doing it for our other parts of the church. You know, I ended up being a high schooler that was doing it for the young adult ministry, um, eventually started playing piano on Sundays um, and started singing a little bit through that. And so I did that all the way through high school. And, you know, I, I had certain artists that I loved to listen to. I don't feel like I had an understanding of what music actually meant to me or the power of what music can do until I started really taking worship seriously. Hmm. Because as I started to lead songs, um, I started to see some of the, the incredible beauty of what these songs were talking about. And that started to transform me mm -hmm. as a high school kid. Mm. Um, and I did that more and more and I fell in love with it. Mm. I just realized that this was the avenue of where I connected with God the most mm. was through, was through music and the words and the lyrics and how they told stories, you know, mm. um, of scripture and of what Jesus did in a way that just connected with my heart mm. in a way that like, you know, nothing else truly did as yeah. well as what music did. And so from high school, I went to a small private Christian university in Springfield, Missouri. So I moved all the way to Missouri. Um, it's a small school called Evangel University and spent about four years there getting a music degree. And I led worship for chapel services there, found a church um, that I had a lot of friends went to and was one of the worship leaders there. And so, you know, I, I don't really have... I didn't really have a break from worship from when I started. So when I started at 14, like I just kind of kept going and always found a place to serve and to do that. And then after school, I moved back home. I didn't have like a, a plan yet. Mm -hmm. And then I, I found this organization in Columbus that did school assemblies. And so they were looking for a musician that could come and serve in the band that was going around and traveling. And so that's what brought me to Columbus. And I did that for, for a couple of years, uh, met David McCreary through that organization. Okay. And uh, <laughs> my drummer and I just started coming, excuse me, to five fourteen because we were like, what does David do? Like, what is his role? David, for those of you that don't know, is, is like a local, he's in a celebrity in Ohio. He does the lottery show and he is a comedian and a magician and he's been on the, the team here at 514 Church since we started. So he was involved mm -hmm. in the similar assembly yeah, thing. So, he so that's what brought you here. Yeah, he one of the speakers. Speaking. Yep. And so we partnered with him for a couple events. And then I started coming to the church uh, and just loved like the vibe of what you guys were trying to pursue with music yeah. and production. 
Um, I'd always kind of been in smaller communities that just didn't have the resources Mm -hmm. maybe to, to pull it off, you know, the way that you guys have been blessed and we have been blessed Mm -hmm. with the talent, um, that we have. And so I was, I was drawn in by that. Yeah. And I met my friend and I, you know, we, we loved going to shows. And so we weren't afraid to be expressive in the music part. Yeah. And so we would sit up front and we would, you know, do all kinds of craziness and we just kind of got noticed by Kevin and Mm -hmm. Kevin approached me and just asked me like what my story was and if I would, would be interested in maybe serving on the band at church. And so from there, I just kind of started playing keys and started singing and leading. And now I lead the team. Yeah. So, okay. So we want to learn some things. Mm -hmm. So Eddie, what is it that you do when you're the worship director? What's your goal? So my goal for this community is, is to create a space, um, where people feel comfortable enough that they allow themselves to connect with God through Mm. a worship experience, through Mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what music can do is it transports you. Mm -hmm. It transports you to a specific place. And so when we gather together on a Sunday, my goal is for 10 to 15 minutes to create an environment and a space that people can be transported. Mm -hmm. People can be comfortable spending time with the God of the universe yeah. and to be vulnerable and to um, allow themselves to be known by him mm-hmm. and to know him. Mm. And so we do that in many different ways, but that's, that's the main goal of, of worship. So, so give me, you know, there's all the conversations in church. What is worship? You know, worship is a lifestyle and it's so true, but like, what, what would you say worship is? So this is actually uh, something that I've, I heard recently in a, in a video that I watched. Um, the speaker said that a big part of worship, and he was talking about prayer, I think specifically, mm-hmm. but worship is giving God the glory that he deserves and enjoying him. Mm. And I feel like both of those pieces are so vitally important. So how, how does a Sunday morning worship time do that? Like what, like, Take me through, like, what is a person doing when they do that? So giving glory to God requires a little bit of a sacrifice Mm -hmm. because you have to take glory all the way from yourself and point it somewhere. Okay, And so what worship music does is it points people to where the glory should be given. Mm. And so when we sing these songs, a lot of songs that are talking about how great God is or Mm -hmm. how amazing he is and songs that are kind of, force us to look at the humility of who we are. Right. Um, Our need or our needs um, that Jesus, you know, meets that is giving glory to God, being Mm. willing to get into a place where you, you understand that you can't do this by yourself. Right. And um, you know, you need God to, to walk with you. Mm. And so these songs, I, you know, I believe bring people to that place or at least force them to confront it Mm -hmm. and be like, I need, to understand that I can't do this alone, mm-hmm. that there's somebody here that not only can direct where I'm going, mm-hmm. but wants to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where the enjoyment of God, mm. I think comes into play. You know, God enjoys you mm. so much. Mm. Like he loves you. And, we, you know, think about a relationship with somebody that you love, mm-hmm. you know, every, every relationship that has genuine love in it, there's enjoyment. You enjoy that person. Yeah. Like think about your marriage or your kids, like you enjoy those relationships. And so, you know, God already enjoys you. Mm. So he's waiting for you to take that step. He's waiting for you to meet you, to meet him in the middle. And so if he enjoys you, then part of corporate worship is you learning to enjoy him, mm-hmm. like actually connecting with him in a way that like talk about enjoying him. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like the way that you feel, the way that you think? Well, I think it encompasses all of it. Mm-hmm. But like enjoying God is understanding what he's done for you. Mm. Like where does, you know, they talk about the joy of the Lord. Like what, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, the joy of the Lord is joy that you express and feel by understanding what he's done for you mm. and the hope that you have in the cross and Jesus and actually processing that, coming to a place where you, you know, you believe that this is what God has done for you. 
for me, I guess it's it's hard because it, it feels natural. Yeah. Because of how long I've been doing this. Right. And so once you get to that place where you truly understand the sacrifice mm. that Jesus made for you. Yeah. Right. I think like once you've like if you seek that out, pursue it and try to understand it, yeah. I don't know how you can't right. enjoy God at that point. Yeah. Like just being a, being a friend of God, I think, which seems intimidating for a lot of people. Sure. But I think that's kind of the point that we get to when we yeah. want to enjoy just being around him, to experience the peace that he can give us, that he wants to give you. That's mm-hmm. enjoying God. It's accepting the blessing and gift that he wants to provide for you. Yeah. Like think of the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So God, you know, wants us to kind of take those traits on. That's how we're transformed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm-hmm. goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so... When you take on those traits, you start to see the life that God had envisioned for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you start to see why being gentle is better than being aggressive. Right. Um, you know, you, when you take on, you know, goodness, goodness mm-hmm. is one of the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But you, you, when you focus on the goodness of God, mm-hmm. you start to become somebody that wants to just be good yeah. because God was good to you. Right. All of those traits, yes. you know, you want to make people feel at peace because God makes you feel at peace. Right. You want to be faithful because God is always faithful. Yeah. And so like the fruits of the spirit is typically what I go to when I want to explain to somebody what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, mm. because all of those traits are what, you know, if, if it's the fruit of the spirit, you know, we're given the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, that's how you're transformed. Yeah. Is by practicing those traits yeah. over and over, over, again and over again until they become second. So become, yeah, yeah. And the the enjoyment of God comes through what those traits do in your interactions with other people. Yeah, that's good. So so tell me you, you hit on this, but like when you're here for twenty five minutes and you engage in a corporate worship setting where you're singing songs. Why is that important for everything else? Because you're remembering. Okay. For me. Um, big part of faith is, is remembering. Okay. Because when you don't remember something or you don't put it in front of you, you're, you're going to forget it. And so what worship music does, why it's important that you come and you sing and you engage in that, in that environment is that, as you sing, as you say the truth out loud, mm-hmm. as you say those words, your heart will slowly begin to believe it. To believe it. That's why it's important. Mm. And if you believe, like what's a, you know, what's a song we're doing right now where there's like a truth that sounds simple, but if you believe it. So like living hope. Yeah. is a, is a great one. That yeah. third verse, yeah. you know, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Yeah. His, uh, his body. body began to mm-hmm. breathe out of the science, silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. And think about it. If you, if you believe those words. Yeah. If you believe if you that. Believe it. Now it's, it's, you know, it's easy just to say that, but if you have internalized the concept that death has no claim on yeah, you that's, and your soul, I mean, that for me is like the reason to live a life. That, that Jesus has instructed us to live. I find it fascinating, you know, like when you say those words, they're really powerful words and they sound very theological and they sound very cognitive or doctrinal. Sure. And then when you sing those words, it feels different. Now, it, this it, I think is a little different. I mean, it, it can de- kind of depend on the context, but in terms of what we do on Sunday morning, yeah. The and this well, this kind of goes into like the power of music. But right. The power of music relies. I mean, it 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 creates community. Right. Yeah. So there's a connection. There's a connection. Unification. Saying the same things at the same time. My 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 question is, so or or my thought is, those words that you just said. You, you say those words and you would say, I agree with those words as a Christian, you sing those words and then you go out into the world and you're like, 
I just sang about that. Mm-hmm. Do I really actually believe? Like, is it affecting the way that I feel and the way that I walk and the way that I talk? Most people, I think they'd go, that's crazy. You think that, that because Jesus rose from the dead, that death has no claim on you? Like, I think that most people don't believe that. I think that, that people believe that death has a claim on them. And I think that if you write, like you're, you're saying, if you sing those words and you draw close to the Lord, like you could actually leave the building starting to believe what you were singing about. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, it's a crazy thing to believe, but singing takes you there. Yeah. Well, You'll I, say something that you would never actually say. You would never, I mean, you say it in church, well, yeah. you say you believe <laughs> yeah. it, but like you. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to sing that and then go out into the world and be like, yeah, I believe that, the, that, the, that, but you, you, what you were saying is that you actually start to believe those things when you sing them. And I think that is a power of art. Yeah. I think art and poetry right. and packaging it up in something like that, mm-hmm. I think is powerful. Right. And especially when you're in a room of people, you know, if you're a believer that we tell you that you have the spirit inside you, well, imagine, you know, you have three to 400 people in the room. That's three to 400 spirits Yeah. that are trying to connect to God. And they're all like together in the same space. Yeah. Do we believe that like those are interacting too? Right. And like how powerful it is to have a community of spirit believing people giving glory yeah, to God sure. and trying to connect with right. God. Well, um, imagine too, that if, if, uh, just what you said about that has got me like, it's an exciting idea. There are things that we say we believe we come together and we sing those things. They actually make us start to believe them. Now imagine if a bunch of people who are singing the same thing and it's kind of a crazy thing, sing together and they all actually go out and believe it. It's kind of, which saying the same thing with other people, regardless of the level of coherency or rationality of it can actually make you believe something. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what communities do. Like when you believe something that you find out other people believe and you get together and you like are saying it out loud and expressing it, like we all want to be a part of community in some way. We want to believe that we're not alone in whatever we're thinking and believing. Another uh, thing I believe in about the power of music, but, um, the reason we come together and sing those songs is that we give people the space. You know, if you're talking about just saying it out loud, yeah. well, we probably don't say it out loud with the mindset of like, I'm trying to believe this right now. I'm just like vocalizing it. I mean, right. having a conversation right. with somebody. Yeah, sure. When we come together to worship, we, we're trying to create a space that like, that's the whole reason we're that's doing the whole it reason the we're there. Like you, yeah. Your mindset is to grow closer to God right. and to believe the truth that right. you're saying out loud. And then you see all these other people in the room that are also pursuing the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. That's powerful. It is. It is. And it's motivating. It, it makes you want to be a part of it yeah. and that you're not alone in it. And oh, well, if I'm not alone in it, maybe it is true. Yeah. You know, like maybe if it's affecting this many people, yeah. Like think how big the church is. Yeah. But if it's affecting this many people, there's gotta be something about it. Yeah. There's gotta be some truth to it. There's yeah. gotta be, why is it, why is it, power, right. why is it impacting people this right. way? Yeah. Right. No, I, I think that's amazing. You know, we do the thing at, at birthday for birthdays of the staff yeah. that like you, I don't know if you like it or hate it or whatever. It's but, actually my favorite thing. I think that this church does. Yeah. We do it for the, the band. Too, yeah. Yeah. For every person that has a birthday. And it's, I think our band's favorite thing that we do. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, when someone has a birthday, you know, we get a cake and we sing and then like two or three people, you know, have been prompted, you know, whatever week before, um, to, to say some things, intentional things to that person. And th- without it sounding sacrilegious or like cult, like cultish, sure. like in a way, what we're doing is we're worshiping that person. Like we're, we're, we're shining light on them. We're, we're glorifying them, honoring, like, honoring them. Yeah. We're, we're, we're worship yeah. makes it sound wrong. But my, my, my thought is that like you go there because you're taking a moment for that time to highlight that person yeah. and to give them the honor or the recognition of who they are. So it's worship in a sense of like, Worship means the wrong thing. You're lifting them up. We're not lifting them up with the birthday. We're, 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 we're 
defining and clarifying who they are and telling them something that's great about who they are. So we're like giving them reality. So you do that to a, to a, a co-human. Yeah. You're not supposed to worship them, but you can honor them. So in a way, a worship service is almost like, you know, you celebrate Jesus's birthday, of course, at yeah. Christmas, but like really that's the idea, right? Christmas is the worship of Christ. Mm-hmm. So every time we come together, it, it's like, that's how we should think of it. Like I'm here to like specifically connect with him and tell him who he is and what he means to me. And we're, we're comfortable with that in a birthday setting or, you know, people do this in a general way with every person in their life that they care about. You know, it's like, here's a card, here's a whatever. But the worship service is where we come and we, we elevate the one being who deserves all of our attention and all of our praise. And it, how, how, how necessary is that for a relationship? Because every single time we do that, don't you feel like a different level of a connectivity with the people in the room? Yeah. And the big reason I think it's so important, especially for building teams, right. is that you're honoring and recognizing the value that right. this person has. And if we believe everybody's like uniquely designed yeah. by God, you're, what you're doing is you're shedding light on that design. On that design. Like, well, this is what God gave you. Yeah, right. This is what God is doing right. through you. And what it does, because, you know, when you have a team, you know, that's a little bit larger, like not everybody maybe has the chance to connect with everyone. Right. But these moments, yeah. what it forces everybody on the team to do is recognize the value of yeah. this specific person. Right. And so that builds that kind of connection. Yeah, it does. Even if they don't have um, as many like one-on-one conversations. Sure, sure. It forces them to see that this see person's it. value. Right. This person's valuable. And then when we do it on Sunday morning, you know, that's what we're doing was we're pointing it upwards and saying, see how valuable he is? Exactly. That see why lo- he deserves I, this? Yes. Like, I, I like the analogy of, of coming. Okay. So I just like that picture of that's why people need to come. People need to come because they need to be, to put who he is in front of them. They need to honor him and worship him and lift him up because of what that does, what that, that clarity, that magnification of who God is. It, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, like you said, if you know who God is, like you're gonna, if you know the sacrifice, if you know his character, you're gonna like you're going to be different. Yeah. So I come out of those birthday celebrations. I, I feel different. Yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons to come to worship, the other one we talked about is it changes you. If you really believe those things, you're going to go out into the world. You're going to be different. So moving just a little bit to the technical, because, you know, you don't get enough credit, right? Eddie, you, you, you care about music. You care about theology. You care about the people singing the theology, the, the truths, you know, the, 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 the tool of magnification and worship and adoration of God. Tell, just give everybody a little bit of like how, how you do it. You know, how do you okay. orchestrate sure. a worship experience for people? What, what What's your process? So there's a, a few different like facets of creating the experience. Um, the first thing to just like talk about is that is recognizing that songs are stories. And because that's why I think Jesus taught a lot in parables and stories is because that's what people and humans connect the best with. And I feel like what songs do is they take theology stories of the human condition and they package it up in three to five minutes. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm putting a, like a set together or an experience, I want that set to tell a story. Okay. I want it to take you on a journey. Okay. Um, and that, you know, can do with how the music is like the vibe of it, yeah. the energy coming from it. Uh, but the lyrics are the most important part. It's right, like, yeah. where, where are we starting and how are we how are we finishing? ending? And so at the beginning of the set, you know, I want to kind of invite people in, you know, if I can, I'll try to put like a song that is like a welcome, like let's worship together. Yeah. Um, great things is a great example. The first words are come, let us worship our King. Yep. So it's like just kind of inviting people yep. into a space where this is what we're going to do. For this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as the set continues and the words start to shift, you know, we talk about, maybe we talk about characteristics of God, mm-hmm. something that he's done for us. Thankfulness is a big theme sure. in worship music yep. is being Gratitude. grateful. Yep. Um, and so you go into that and you force people to look at why should I be thankful? Like, why should I be grateful for what God has done for me? And trying to take people through that story until they process that in their heart. And then at the end of the set, um, 
typically I want to have some sort of exaltation, which is where you are verbally telling him okay. how good he is okay, um, or t- just telling him how amazing he is. And what a beautiful name is mm-hmm. a really good example of this. And I'll have that song at the end of the set a lot. Cause like the bridge is just incredible. Like death could not hold you. Mm-hmm. The veil tore before mm-hmm. you. What a beautiful name mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, when you create that environment for people to kind of like go from here mm-hmm. all the way here, that, you know, is a journey of the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, we get to the end of that and, you know, that's why we have somebody who will like pray mm-hmm. somebody who like intentionally is having that like conversation mm-hmm. with God. Um, I, I think having the entire thing and it doesn't always look that way for every set or mm-hmm. every experience. Um, but that's typically what I'm going for. Yeah. And so I also know how powerful music is. And so when I'm crafting this set from a music perspective, right. um, tone, I, I don't want to overwhelm people with maybe too much hype or too much slow or yeah, whatever. Sure, like whatever. You, you kind of need to balance it out because that's just the nature of music and the listener. You know, you think about how an artist will put together a set at a concert. Yeah. You know, that's very intentional because you don't want to do like, too many fast songs or too many slow songs sure. or whatever, too many heavy songs. Have, have a, songs. a diet, have a, 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 a yeah, diet giving of them like different. an experience mm-hmm. for them to digest. Yeah. So you need to make it digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for worship night, that's something that is, it's a little bit, I'm more intentional there because right. we're doing it for like an hour. An hour, yeah. And so I want to give And when people, is the next one? Just if people are listening. Uh, March 2nd. So it's coming Great. up about a okay. month or so. Um, and so then, what do you do? What do you do? What, yeah. What does that look like? So worship night is, it's kind of the similar thing, except obviously it's like an hour and 15 minutes of it. And so there I'm kind of, what we've been doing is we've been kind of theming these based off of a word or something that we think our community should focus on for that night. Um, and for this next one, I'm thinking about possibly doing one on gratitude on thankfulness. And having a, a night where we can spend an hour just focusing on the things in our life that are good. Yeah. You know, the things sure. that God has provided for us and just giving him glory for yeah. those things. Um, and so another part of creating these experiences that I think is really special and important is that I want to create moments that are captivating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's what drew me in initially with what you guys did before I was on staff about excellence and creating those kind of moments mm-hmm. is we don't, we don't really think about it, but when there is a moment in an experience, in a mm-hmm. service, a mm-hmm. concert or something mm-hmm. that is done so well and is so fitting, yeah. I think, for what's going on in the moment, right. that creates a memory. Yeah. And I think about like Inside Out, hmm. Pixar, when yeah. they have all the memories that come yeah. out. Like, that's what I'm trying to do uh, is I'm trying to create moments that are, are so impactful that you walk away and you're like, I'm going to remember that for a while. Like yeah. something happened to me where yeah. like, I, I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, right, or that's, right. or that taught me something, sure. you know? And so when you create a moment, you know, that is fitting and special and it, it sounds great and musically it's, it's done well and the lyrics are just powerful mm-hmm. and may might be speaking to something that somebody is going through yeah. right then. And the right. thing is I can't try to plan a night that everybody is going to get yeah, right. with because everybody's different and their stories are different and they might be just going through different things. But if I can create an, a moment that somebody walks out the room and they can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. They can't stop thinking about what it means with their connection to God yeah. and their relationship with God or believing that God really does love me the way mm-hmm. that that moment expressed. Yeah. And that's, you know, the execution is, is music. It's, it's the leader. Yeah. We're singing it. You know, a big part of worship leading is not only knowing your song, but understanding your song, yeah. making it a part of like who you are. Yeah. Like if you, you need to be able to kind of express the lyrics in a way where people that are, that are watching or listening or singing with you, they understand that this is also affecting you. Yeah. You're also a human being that is going right. through the same things that they're going through. Yeah. And sometimes that, that makes the connection. Right. It's just watching somebody, somebody sing ha- a yeah. song where it's like, yes, I, th- I feel like we had a conversation about this before where it's like, you have like musical experiences that are just like 
excellent. Like the music is just performed like perfectly. And then you have experiences where there's something else that happened. Right. Where you come away from it and you're like, why, why do I like feel this way? Yeah. Why did that hit me the way that it did? And a lot of the times it's, it's the person that is leading that moment Mm. because they're also a human being. Yeah. They have a soul, they have a heart. Yeah. And that, experience that they're having on stage, that's the spiritual aspect of it that I think we don't talk about enough. Is yeah. that like there is a spiritual part of music yeah. that connects to something deeper than what we can just Hear rationally process. Yeah. There's something going way on deeper inside. And so if I can find a way to make a moment where somebody has that experience. That's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's it. That's what we're like, that's the whole point. Like serving through music is giving people experiences with music that will change and transform their lives. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I was a worship leader for 10 years and then, you know, I've been in church for a long time and you literally are one of the best at creating these moments because, and I'll tell you like for me and granted, I sit in a little bit of a different seat in terms of what, what I'm going through during worship, yeah. you know, like, and, and I, I know that I, you know, um, my goal is to, to, to have some moments, you know what I mean? Where I'm genuinely kind of nothing else is on my mind mm-hmm. and I'm focused on the words and I'm focused on God and, and, and I have those, but there are times when obviously as a pastor, like my mind is, I, I, yeah, I, I you know, I'm somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm supposed to be to a degree. So that's a challenge for the pastor, right. To, to be in the moment, but also be thinking about what's coming next, right. which is a challenge, which is a worship leader struggle with too. That's why those nights are so great mm-hmm. because you can kind of like actually be fully present. So I don't have some like problem with people struggling with that. It's a real thing, but I will say this, that like there was a, so at our Christmas service mm-hmm. during the doxology, hallelujah, this thing, there was something that happened for me that I think is what you're talking about. And it's the only way I can put it is like magnification where like everything, like everything else in my life, like nothing could be seen. It's almost like, you know, there's Google earth and then you zoom all the way, all the way in. And all you're thinking about is God and some type of inexplicable feeling that's happening where you feel sad and happy and you want to cry and you want to scream and you're thankful and you're, you're not afraid, but you're like captivated in a way. I I had that moment where I'm just like, all I care, like you don't, you're, you're not thinking about what you're thinking about. Something's happening. Something's like happening. And then you kind of like, the song ends or whatever. And then for me, like it was a fast snap cause I got to get up and preach right. or whatever. But yeah. like I, the, the, so the power of the music with the lyrics, with the tone, with your goal, because that was like the moment, like you led everybody to that moment. And then we all like went swimming in that moment. And like, Dude, that was one of my greatest worship experiences ever. And it's, for me, it was like everything else went away. Mm-hmm. The magnification of God, like the Oculus, like just like was there. Everything was right in my face and nothing mattered. But I mean, what were the words? What, what, what were the words to that song at that moment? I just remember saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. So the, I feel like the bridge is like the moment for me. It's Jesus Christ, my King and throne. Yes. All the praise is yours forevermore. Yes. Hallelujah. Here below, all the praise is yours forevermore. That's it. Yeah. So Jesus Christ, my King. And th- it was like everyone just went like to like in a like a visual, like mental space of like, this is where we are. Yeah. Like we are at the throne room of God. And that's like that birthday feeling. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we're talking about you. It's all about you. Nothing matters but you. We're not, I can't see anything else. I can't. That was one of the best moments, man. Dude, well, thank you. That, 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 that it it was. And music and feel and and all the work that you did. I, and and that wasn't just me. I heard lots of people say that. So like, you're really, really good at this. Thank you, man. So listen, um, hopefully we'll have Eddie come back again. Eddie, thank you so much. Um, 
Uh, I'm excited for all the different moments that you're going to lead us to. Eddie really is one of the best there is at this. And, um, you know, it goes without saying, like, you know, we, we have one of our values here at the church is excellence. And so when you're talking about music, a lot of churches, you know, would think that music and allowing people to be involved is a way to serve people, even if they're not good at it. And that that's a wrong orientation. Like, you know, we believe that God gifted people, yeah. you know, so this is an American idol where everybody gets to come up here and try. And it's like, you know, and then mom thinks you're good, but you're not like, there's an objectivity to excellence that takes at least the court, you know, it's like, so we have a standard for great excellence in musicians and excellence in vocals and excellence in, in what we do in the experience in this room and excellence. With, and all of that plays in, that's a big, big part yeah. of making a great worship experience because when something is not excellent, it becomes a distraction yeah. and gets in the way. And so Eddie, you're one of the best at, at, at taking excellent people and talent and lyrics and moments and music and putting it all together so that people have everything fade away. So anyway, if you, if, if, if you know, we're lucky to have Eddie. So, uh, he's, he's our maestro. He's the aficionado. And so with that, um, we're closed down this episode and next week we're going to revisit learning as it is related to worship. And we're going to move beyond just the music experience to the entire whole service from beginning to end. And we're going to talk to the, our resident service programmer, Carmen Smith, the director of service programming for the church and talk to her about uh, what we need to learn, what there is to learn as it relates to worship for the whole service. So with that, this is the rest and we love you guys. Have an amazing week.